did it! We, we read a book. We read a book again. Now we've read six we've books. We've read six books We're written just... for children. Yay! <laughs> this is our wrap-up for season six of Basic Snitches. Hi, I'm Tara. I'm Adam. And I can't believe that we have only one book left. We only have one book left. Remember when we started this, like, humble little project? Yeah, I do. I think we're still little, but we're not really humble anymore. No. I just started a new job, and I did introduce Basic Snitches to a lot of my coworkers. Oh my god! So if you're listening, hello there. <laughs> Missy, who's one of my new coworkers, she said she did listen to the first episode, and I was like, oh my god, the first episode? <laughs> it gets way better. So here we are at the precipice of season seven, and insane. 200 episodes coming up. Too. Right, I can't even, I can't, we just recorded episode 150 of Podcast, Podcast in Death. Death. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? Our sister podcast. Our we, sister we podcast. We really should create a fake name of a podcast network that's just ones that you work on. <laughs> I mean, I can host other podcasts. So if anyone else wanted to edit more of hearing mm-hmm. my voice and have like, another podcast. You could even moderate them. You could be like, you know what? I'm the moderator of this podcast. Other people do the work. Right. I'll just come on there and say something snarky and leave. What about terrible productions? That's <laughs> <laughs> a like... Today, of course, is our wrap-up. We're going to go through what we liked and <laughs> disliked the most about this book and movie. Talk a little bit about Season 7. And, of course, we have a lot of little fun things along the way, like a game. Points, which is why everyone listens to this podcast, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> they wait for this moment. I'm intrigued if your book winners, based on points oh, yes. and stuff, how that goes. Because I don't think they're going to line up. I'm excited. I don't believe Harry had the highest points last book. But I think he does this book. That's a little bit of a spoiler alert, but mm. we'll get there. I don't actually. remember who won the last book. I don't think it was Harry. I could be wrong, though. I don't think it was either. I think Harry won maybe all of the other books before. Yes. I guess we <laughs> We also can listen to, to our own podcast. And to our be like, what did I say? Because, yes. you know, we have our own receipts. Let's take a moment to acknowledge our patrons. Those folks are Ashley, Brian, Brittany, Jen, Marybeth, Megan, Nisi. Nicole and Olivia. You can also add to that list for just $3 a month at patreon.com slash basic snitches. We acknowledge you in every single one of our episodes. You get a lot of great exclusive content. Plus there's additional tiers for even more. And this week we do include our guests for our next episode, Jean and Delia. So you'll get a little bit of a preview of them. And we play a game actually that Tara leads. So join us there on Patreon and at patreon.com slash basic snitches. All right. So with that, speaking of win or loser. Of course, we have to talk about the last chapter of the book. Oh, yes. Chapter first. Yeah. Duh. So who do you think the winner and loser of the last chapter Okay. I'm going to go ahead and say Harry wins it just because, like, there's a lot of inner monologue and stuff. Oh, yes. And Bill Nye the Science Guy loses. Yes. Lion Man does lose. Okay. Good. Yes. And Harry does win that Okay. Chapter. The winner, yeah. I actually, after I remembered what happened, <clears throat> I was more solid on it's loser. It's really good wrap up for Harry as far as I think that you absolutely understand his thought processes in this chapter and you know even though you're like oh the breaking up with your girlfriend thing is very silly and immature also I get it literally now he doesn't even have Dumbledore to be like hey so you know let's walk through this together because also Dumbledore never did that for him in a way that was as accessible mm. but you know I mean I don't know I think it's, I think it's a good chapter for Harry and then you see him continue to be like this is what Dumbledore and I were doing and I understand I have a 
things to do. Your cat just wants to be close to me because I have a straw. You're correct. So <laughs> who's the winner and the loser of this book? Guess but who either of them would be. Snape is loser, nope. I think. No, Dumbledore is loser. Dumbledore is the loser. Because he died. <laughs> he lost his life. I think Dumbledore <laughs> driving this fucking train. Mm-hmm. I really think he missed the mark on some things. And it was hard. I really struggled with choosing him over Snape. But I think ultimately, even though this book is literally about Snape, it's not. Mm. He's very background. Until the end. And then it's just a bunch of him being shitty. And, and of course, we know everything. So in that regard. <laughs> we I, know everything. We know everything. But we know the truth behind things. And so based on that, I really can't be like, he loses. I mean, I can. I could I could make lots of people lose, I guess. Yeah, I went with Dumbledore. Just I think that there were a lot of missed moments. And I think Dumbledore does a lot of like showing off. He never needed to for Harry. Harry's just asking for information. And here we are. He died before he could give Harry all the information he needed. And he had all that time before. Yes. And he didn't. So. Winner. The winner of this book, I am hesitant to say that it's Harry. It's not Harry. It's Jenny. It's definitely it's Jenny. Jenny had, yes. Jenny had some of the best moments Jenny ever. Jenny Weasley. She's yes. so fantastic. Yes. In this book. I don't even think I need to explain any of that. Other than the fact that like when you go through all of the teenage drama, she's clearly the most mature person in the room, which is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Because she's the youngest one we interact with. I do want to take a step further. I would like to name a winner loser of the movie as well. Ooh, okay. Um, and I'll just say right now, the loser is the movie writers <laughs> who left out the shit that as always. About <laughs> yeah. I think it's more glaringly obvious in this movie than the fourth and fifth movie even even though they missed huge awful things because there's really cool stuff in this movie too yeah they left out really really important shit that was also cool like they did in the fourth movie i really enjoy a lot of things in this movie and then i'm like fuck very frustrating the winner can i guess who the winner yes. is is it the actress who plays lavender brown <laughs> Oh my god, how'd you know? Is it really? No, it's not. Oh my god. But I that's love immediately her. where my brain went. I love her. She murdered it. She did. So that's Jessie Cave, who I don't think acts Ooh. anymore. Um, but she is quite good. But unfortunately, when you are sharing a movie with Jim Broadbent, he's gonna win. Oh, okay, um, yeah. But sure. but not not just that, like the you know, because obviously I'm not just gonna go off of actors because holy hell, it's this cast of actors. Mm-hmm. But Jim Broadbent really brings something special to a character. I think he hits all of the Slughorn notes from the book and is somehow more likable than Slughorn in the book who isn't unlikable. He's so engaging and so the character of Slughorn as well as him in that character, yeah, he deserves a win. And a secondary comment, this is the movie where Michael Gambon gets Dumbledore. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I really think he has some great moments in the fourth and fifth movie. Obviously there's things in the fourth movie we don't like, but other than that in the fourth movie I'm like, yeah, but this movie, he gets Dumbledore. So some extra winner stuff out there because... Yeah, that's fun. Hey, if I go on and on about points, I like you assigning like all these like awards. Okay, so let's start getting into our theme. We chose three different themes for this book. And the first one is trust. This was mostly something that I had put in here, but we talked a lot in this book about how coming out of the fifth book where Harry was not allowed to speak and everything, and now he's allowed to speak and nobody allows him to speak, Mm -hmm. essentially. He does, but they tamp him down and they say that we need to trust Dumbledore and we need to trust Snape. And of course, that's how everything divulges. I'm going to back up a little bit even more because based on what's going on in the next 
episode, where we take a little bit of a detour back even prior to book five, you really think about what the trauma is that happens, let's say starting in, I mean, you could say from the very beginning of the series, but... (laughs) Yeah, literally. In book three, he's being chased around by what we think is a fugitive immediately in the next one and of course they didn't think that harry would be a part of the triwizard tournament but they were like you know what even though last year we had a criminal on the loose in the school let's go ahead and do this ridiculous ridiculous dangerous international tournament yes and then we get out of that and he is completely silenced by the pink menace and now here we are where he finally ministry and not, the ministry. Not just her. Thank you. Because mm-hmm. that, that is very key too. Because in this book now, it's okay, Harry was right, but the ministry needs him to just be a poster boy. And then anything else that Harry sees that is of any sort of danger, it is completely disregarded and ignored. And on top of that, it has been five years now. And every year there's danger at Hogwarts that right. Harry comes and saves the day. And so, guys, you can trust Dumbledore all you want, but Dumbledore was ill-prepared for all of this. We talked a lot about that in the last few episodes. But I love that point that you're making. Even in the fifth book where, like, obviously things did not go well, Harry, with the encouragement of Hermione and Ron, Harry taught people defensive spells. The other five were able to survive the Ministry of Magic because they learned that shit from Harry. Mm-hmm. And that this too. has been doing great shit and they're being like "Mm, Harry Malfoy's fine don't worry about it yeah like think about his resume at this point he's gone up against Dumbledore already in the first book then he goes up technically er, Dumbledore (laughs) oh my fucking god remember when I was like what if Hagrid was a bad guy during the whole thing (laughs) now like we need to come up with the angle of the series where Dumbledore is the bad guy dark Dumbledore which probably isn't that difficult but uh, Hagrid is probably more difficult okay so he goes against Voldemort in the first movie and then in the second he kind of goes against him again while also battling a giant snake that can freeze you with his eyes. In the third, he outsmarts a once again, quote unquote, felon but also goes up against a werewolf also goes back in time to save said felon and Buckbeak. He goes through this trial of games that make no sense, Mm -hmm. including defeating a dragon, rescuing people from underwater, going through this entire maze bullshit and defeating Voldemort again. Number three, book number five, he goes into the ministry to save someone and they're fighting off the death eaters like you said why don't we like give harry any sort of credit no credit and i mean trust of course is the main thing here but it could very well be credit as well well and it's actually really good that you brought all this stuff up in the fifth book when they're at that first meeting of dumbledore's army you have a handful of the other students not just ron and hermione being like harry also did this that's where you're getting that is is from his classmates and that's why it's so frustrating because ron and hermione are the people who were like pushing back about the whole Malfoy thing in this book where literally a year ago they're like you should teach everyone how to not die when Death Eaters come to our school and now they're not trusting him to do this thing that they were the ones in the first place who were like you can do this you are the right person for this which also is what helps all of them at the end of the book when the Death Eaters do come to Mm -hmm. the school that and Felix Felice is likely but I mean they definitely have skills and they definitely hone them on their own but again this is like Dumbledore's army an army is a team This is all about teamwork. That's what this whole fucking series is. This is kind of going a little bit off course, but what I found myself thinking about, speaking of trust and credit, the other place where we get it, I guess, is that Hermione always undermining 
Harry's talents and talents in quotes, I guess. She has a point there, but because of the book. Think about, like, what if Hermione did create the best potion in that class and she had the Felix Felicis? What would have happened? Would Harry have been able to get the memory? Would they have had some left over for that last thing? I guess you could make up a million right. different timelines here. That's really what it is. Like, somebody please just let Harry know that he is in some way valid in the way that he's doing or thinking anything. Yeah. So no wonder he's so attached to that fucking Half-Blood Prince book. Because at least he's in potions and someone is acknowledging something Right, right. Exactly. You know, he's got a Quidditch team that's falling apart because people are dating people and people are being assholes and then Ron gets poisoned. You know, like, he has that. He can't even fall back on Quidditch anymore. He mm. has that responsibility, one, of being the team captain that he did not want. But you know what I'm saying? So he has to have that potion stuff. His Defense Against the Dark Arts professor is now fucking Snape. And Snape's literally like, I would love to ruin everything about Harry's life. No, I love that theme. Mm. But one thing, just to go back to a, one more section of this book, I love the trust. Even though we are, like, frustrated with him, even though I literally was like, you fucking lose this book, Dumble. I love the trust that he puts in Harry at the end of the book. Oh, yes. We're Dumbledore nice knows. He asks for Snape when they get back, and I'm pretty sure that he expects Snape to be like, yeah, my guy, you're not gonna live much longer. So, like, Dumble knows that this is his, like, last whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, it is just a really, really great, even though you're so frustrated because you're like, didn't get it all. Didn't give him the information he needed still. There's so much left, and there was a lot of waste of time, and I'm very frustrated, but, like, when it's the time, what he says and how he interacts with Harry about Son of Moments matters, of course. Yeah. And that trust is beautiful because I think Harry needs that last bit. I think it's the last kick to be like, literally, it's you now, even though Dumble is still alive at that moment. Yeah. I'll go even a step further because we kind of see it mm. with Hermione and Ron too. Really Hermione in the movies, but I think Hermione is probably the one who needs to give him the trust back. It's when he says, I'm going to go do this all by myself. They're like, nope, we're going to be right there with you. Almost to reinstate him as like a leader like he was in book five. Yeah. It does kind of finish off in the book in the right way, but it would have been great to have it throughout the book. So right, maybe. yeah. I mean, it comes back around and, and everyone has to have the space to create their own thoughts and think whatever they need to think. It was very disheartening through the book to have people be like, hmm, oh, Harry, yeah. your prejudices. Like, his prejudices were not wrong. Yep. Exactly. And actually, that's kind of a nice way to go into the next one. And that is maturity, which is, I think, the one that you had brought up. Yeah. I will just start with the obvious stuff, which is all of the relationship stuff. And I'm just looking at how the teenagers we see in relationships in this book, how they navigate through being teenagers, trying to be in whatever level of relationship, especially in the wizarding world, because it seems like everyone just marries everyone. We've literally met everyone's future spouse because they're also main characters. Or we've heard the name of other, you know, because like Luna's future spouse is a is commander. Neville even marries Hannah Abbott. So like, that's still another classmate. Yeah. You know, obviously. So obviously, you know, we have that core two couples, but you see in this book, Ron experienced his first interaction and his relationship with Lavender I think is really important for him to get it wrong. Navigate through that and be stupid about it. And for Hermione to also see Ron being stupid about it and for her to make that decision that like he didn't do what I thought would be right. He like chose her over me or whatever Hermione's thought process was. They still move forward into what they have. Mm. And I think that that's really important that we get to see them do that especially as teenagers because ending up with your essentially your high school sweetheart is well something I can detest is not always the right answer. <laughs> yes. But you know again this is a much smaller group of people. This population is just like, what, 100 
plus people in the school. I don't even know. Maybe there's more. But still. In general, I really just appreciate that they all kind of go through this thing. Even though the plus bucket is like, mm, I don't actually understand how teenagers work. I really do appreciate their What'd thing. you call her? Plus bucket. Okay. I, when, when you were saying it, it didn't even register for me. <laughs> Fine. Oh, no. It, it's most effective if you just say it. Like, it's Yes, nothing. I know. <laughs> exactly. That's why I was like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa what? Again. <laughs> we get Harry's inner monologue about how he's like, I don't understand why I'm so upset about Ginny and Dean. I don't know. I've never been a teenage boy, but I that can tell you that wasn't what it was like as a teenage girl and since I don't believe in like genderizing things I don't think that that is real but that said it still kind of gets a point across that as teenagers like Harry who's like oh you know I'm just learning about horcruxes and how to defeat Voldemort but also I am in love with my best friend's sister and how do I deal with that like it's a really interesting way to bring that in and I think that when you get to romantic relationships is when you think oh no I have to start understanding relationships when that's not true you know you do that from day one with your siblings with your parents with your cousins with your friends anyone you interact with but society has like built so much around romantic relationships but platonic care and love between people you already have strong relationships and so it's kind of cool to see the teenagers go through this shit that's Nothing. It's really nothing, yeah. but it isn't. You see Hermione lose maturity over this because mm -hmm. of probably the way society has kind of like, you have to be in a relationship with the person, you know? And then she sees the guys that she likes be in a relationship with someone else and she doesn't navigate that well. And Ron does not navigate that well. It's maybe in, in complete opposite. Oh, the first person who's interested in me, let's go. Mm -hmm. You know? And then Harry being like, oh, I did the thing with Cho and that was weird and it did not work. You know? And then suddenly he's like, but fuck, I have feelings for Ginny. Like, yeah. there's a lot of complicated emotions going on there. Is this the end of the world? who you hook up with in high school or whatever, essentially. It shouldn't be, but sometimes it is. Like, this is your, the rest of your life. There's several things based on what you had said. This is kind of like the secondary storyline in this, whereas the trust and giving Harry the credit for everything that he's doing is kind of the main one. Mm -hmm. It's kind of interesting that we now see this other side, especially when, I mean, yes, I guess we do start to see it even as early as book four. Or in the movies, we start to see some of it in book three. I even think of like when the Buckbeak moment happens and Ron and Harry, Harry Ron and Harry, Ron and Hermione um, clasp hands. Yeah. yeah. Ron and Harry clasp hands all the time in the movies. I don't know if you notice that or not. <laughs> More arguments for Harry being queer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and Ron is just like, I'm always left out, so okay. <laughs> so, of course, it's been building, but it kind of has been building to this, like, outburst mm -hmm. where we do now finally see a completely different side of Hermione. I was also going to say, you know, for Ron, it's not just the relationship that he has with Lavender. It's the way that he breaks up with her mm -hmm. and how he isn't straightforward with her and he doesn't stand up. Just like I previously said, it could very well be because he's, you know, the last one that you think of. He's not to the readers, but to the Weasley family, he's the youngest boy, etc. He's left out a lot more, etc. So, okay, well, maybe I don't really want to be with her, but I'm too scared to tell her no. Or at least it's someone that cares about Absolutely. me. And the whole thing is messy and stupid because it's teenage romance and that's okay. Yeah. Which is wild because, I mean, I guess I kind of touched on it. Like the amount of maturity we see from them in other realms, like in friendship. I mean, I 
always think of book four where Hermione takes Harry on the trip around the lake. The way that they tackle certain things, the fight from the troll even, and the way that they think kind of outside the box and stuff. So this is such an interesting, different little part. And I think the way that it ends, especially for Harry and Ginny, you had said earlier that it's kind of immature how they break up, which it is. In a strange way, the way they both handle it is in a mature way. so mature. The way they handle it. My statement about it being immature. Hey, it's all good because I do think that, you know, Harry's thought process at that point when they break up is still a little bit like, I need to push everyone away. That's what it is. But what else are you going to think when you are a 16-year-old child who was like, I have to fucking save the world. Yeah. Like, I have to break up with my girlfriend to, to keep her safe. Like, that's such a mature thought process. But the act of doing it, like, there's no way to do it that doesn't seem like, okay, you know? Yeah. But yeah, like, again, just another sign of just how mature Ginny is. She's the youngest of seven kids. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they get back together and everything, so we know how it <laughs> ends, but it would have almost been nice, like, in that last conversation with Hermione and Ron... If he were to say, oh, you guys will always be there. Well, Ginny's a badass too, especially in this book. Let's right. Never mind, Ginny. <clears throat> we're back together. Come up on Tower Crutches with us or whatever. Well, now, that mean, would be strange in the seventh book. But... It would. Well, <laughs> especially because she's still underage too. Yeah, that that's point. true. On the other end of the spectrum of maturity, I want to talk about Harry's growth in spite of everything outside of relationships. When Dumbledore teaches him about Horcruxes after he gets the memory, the importance of this passage that goes through Harry's mind when he recognizes that what he has to do versus what he wants to do and all of that conversation and again the weight of the world on a 16 year old boy they have the conversation where Dumbledore says prophecy does not mean you have to do anything but the prophecy caused Lord Voldemort to mark you as his equal in other words you are free to choose your way quite free to turn your back on the prophecy but Voldemort continues to set store by the prophecy he will continue to hunt you which makes it certain really that one of us is going to end up killing the other said Harry yes But he understood at last what Dumbledore had been trying to tell him. It was, he thought, the difference between being dragged into the arena to face a battle to the death and walking into the arena with your head held high. Every time I read this book, every time I get to that passage, I'm like, wow, I don't know that I would come to anything nearly as mature as that right now when I am almost 40 years old. Mm -hmm. And of course, a lot of this comes from, from being a person who was thrust into trauma and being forced to grow up that I have dealt with when I was a child. Obviously, I never had to, you know, save the wizarding world. Yeah. I guess, I guess we'll wait for the next wizarding war. Maybe I'll have to do that one. But Perhaps. Usually children are chosen because they're funner. Yeah. I said funner on purpose. And they can, you know, they're a little bit more <laughs> agile. Right. <laughs> oh, God. I'm sorry to take my Tylenol before I go yeah, to battle. Uh, yeah, but agree. yeah, I just, I think that, that this is also just a really good passage of Harry's maturity as he continues to understand what it means to have a prophecy about you. Yeah. What it means to take on this responsibility because he does have the option of hiding and it's always there. He never takes it. Yeah. The final theme that we have is more so these last few chapters because it comes up several times and that is survivor's guilt. In a way, it is something that Harry deals with throughout the entire book because yes, despite once again everything that happens in this book, serious dying is constantly brought up Mm -hmm. in all of the first chapters before we actually finally get into things. When you think about other elements of Survivor's Guilt, yes, of course, a lot of it happens at the end regarding Dumbledore. In fact, McGuh was the one who kind of inspired, I think, this theme, because she even talks a little bit about, like, oh, if I hadn't done this, I haven't done that. Yeah. 
which you can never think of, obviously. Yeah, I think... and, and, like, a couple of the teachers are like, oh, no, it was my fault. And then, Is it Luna and Hermione who were like, you know, if we had something Oh, yes, Snape. with um, Flitwick. Yeah, with Flitwick. Yeah. Like, all of these people really just being like, what mm. if something I did could have made a difference? Mm. Yeah. Which, of course, you can never, ever think about. Because this is a real theme that people deal with all the time. And it's not even, like, survivor's guilt, per se. Like, with Flitwick, it's like, oh, I could have helped out in that instance, and Flitwick didn't die. So, just guilt in general. We also see it, I mean, let's talk about little instances where we do see it elsewhere. When Aragog dies, I don't think it's necessarily guilt. Mm -hmm. But think about, like, how Hagrid reacted to Aragog dying. Another one is when they're in the cave and he's drinking the margarita he's a little bit having those thoughts of ariana grande so there's a little bit of survivor's guilt there i mean definitely dumbledore obviously suffers from survivor's guilt because mm -hmm. of that on top of that there's this extra amount of trauma that hits harry when his choice to act is taken away from him when dumbledore dies yeah 100 percent. whole idea of first of all being a person of action and being unable to do anything i don't know that i'm the person of action but if there's a moment that if that i can jump in and do the thing i'm gonna do Way. But that's also Harry, plus the fact that he literally can't help himself to not, like, jump into a thing. I'm gonna bring up a weird one. What about Snape? Perhaps. This is more something that I would think is more alluded to. We're not necessarily alluded to, but just a thing that you think about once you look forward into the next book and you learn a little bit more about Snape and his backstory. But you get a little bit of it here, too, after Harry encounters Trelawney in the hall and he finds out that Snape had been listening or whatever. And, like, it's Snape's choice to tell Voldemort. And, you know, obviously it's Voldemort's choice to about, yeah. attack the Potters, of course. But So like, it's survivor's guilt of Lily. Of Lily, oh, yes. yes. He's a dick and he doesn't give a shit about James. Uh, yeah, 100%. But that plays more into the complexity of that character even when you think about like lupin and tonks like remember that tonks had been battling bellatrix mm. when sirius jumped in that's true she's another one she's, yeah you know and, and then you just see how much that's affected her you don't know what's going through other people's minds and what moments that they're thinking of you could even argue that maybe one of the reasons why fleur attracted to the weasley family is she experienced a trauma when she was in britain before for the tribesman a loss of another champion I want to be here with them. Maybe she was like, I absolutely believe Harry, and this is a family that's close to him, and I really like Bill. And now I'm in Britain because mm -hmm. Voldemort isn't hanging out in France, and we do see her fight yeah. in the future. That was a bit of a stretch, but at the same time, like, you don't know. That's why I want to use her as my No, people. this is good you don't know. because overall, the fact that it's such a prevalent thing, this is where we see the world really starting to change. In the last book, it was, well, Voldemort's back, but he's in the background. He's, like, doing his planning, and it's the world coming to terms that he's back. And now that he is, and we're seeing more of the change, and, I mean, there's even little things like Hannah Abbott's mom dies in this mm -hmm. book. I'm pretty sure Amelia Bones dies in this book. Florian Fortescue. So there's so many other things where we're feeling guilty because these people are dying or they're being taken or whatever and it's almost propelling us into the next book when it's gonna like get worse. Alright, you ready to go into our favorites portion? So the first one is what is your favorite chapter of this book? Tara is eating, so I will go first. Sorry, I was napping before this. I wrote down two. Oh my god, me too. I mean, what if they're the same? Because oh I imagine one of mine might be your favorite too. The one that I think is probably both of our favorites is Sectum Sempra. 
No? Okay. I like Sectum Sumpra because that chapter in itself has such an interesting arc. It starts at this really great place. Katie Bell is back and there's a lot of excitement about the final and all of that. The Quidditch final. Harry is still, you know, obsessed with what he's seeing on the Marauder's map and tracking Draco and Room of Requirement. So he sees him and he goes and of course that whole thing happens. He finally gets into the Room of Requirement. We see all these like hints mm -hmm. about like the end game. Of course he gets detention and there's that low point. But at the end Ginny comes through and saves the day. It's a perfect chapter I think in terms of its arc. I mean there are some things that I think are very inefficient but it's all Snape's fault like him taking Draco all the way to the hospital wing and then coming back and being like now go get your book or the fact that he gives him a detention of copying completely irrelevant information that they really shouldn't be holding on to. I love 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 that chapter so that's my first. Okay. What is one of your first? The fun thing is is that I was torn between Sectumsempra and After the Burial. That's my other one. <laughs> so I was right we did have some <laughs> crossover so obviously after the burial is it's such a key moment in the book the main part of it is harry using the felix fleeces and making the choices to go down to hagrid's and running into slughorn him getting the thing but it's a really really lovely chapter for Hagrid and Slughorn, too. Yes. Obviously, its portrayal in the movie is one of my favorite things in the movie. Mm -hmm. It's nice to have a chapter that's gonna be all successes, and Harry does not get to have that. Exactly. It's like a fucking little, like, walk in the park on a sunny day, finally, for this poor kid. Mm -hmm. It sucks because it's actually really high stakes and really sad because, yes, Aragog tried to eat Harry, but he was Hagrid's friend. There's all this, like, heavy stuff. This isn't, like, a cheerful, like, walk in the park thing, but it's not fucking time. This yeah. kid gets something that's easy yes he has to take a fucking potion but whatever yeah everything that you said i agree with what was your other one the cave oh, okay i yeah. think the cave is simultaneously one of the most intriguing chapters in the series and one of the most annoying chapters in the series annoying that dumbledore just seemingly finds all the things does all the things but it's also just we have been given this picture of a wizard who is just so powerful and knowledgeable that it's not hard to accept and you get to see dumbledore being badass as fuck and you get to see harry learning you know again one of harry's strengths is thinking on his feet he doesn't lead the charge this is the only moment in the entire series that's not necessarily true i think that there's a lot of moments with hermione but this particular moment, it's very glaringly obvious that Harry is not leading the charge as far as let's just fucking do this thing because he's got Dumbledore there. And then there's that flip of the switch in which Dumbledore needs Harry to handle it. And he just does. A lot of grace and a lot of really great instincts. You know, Harry does everything he can and it's great, I think. Love it. Next, what is your favorite new character from this book? And I think we probably have the same person. I mean, it's Slughorn. Yes. In the last wrap-up, we were like, well, obviously it's Luna. I'm like, but there's also Tonks. Mm -hmm. Here, it's Slughorn. It's I think, Slughorn. Yeah. I do have an honorable mention to two characters, though. Yeah? And they are Blaze Zabini and Mrs. Cole. <laughs> oh, my God, right? Mrs. Cole. Yeah. Oh, the bitch loves her gin. Sure does. Very relatable. And also, Blaze Zabini just has a cool fucking name, and it's probably really fucking And hot. is sassy. He's sassy. He's mm -hmm. hot. Uh, very relatable to both of those characters, mm -hmm. honestly. 
what is your favorite quote from this book? I have two. I also have two. Again, I think there might be crossover. My first one is a quote of Hermione's, but she's actually quoting Dumbledore. And this is in like the chapter, An Excess of Phlegm, where they're discussing Percy. Harry's like, what do you mean Percy hasn't come back around? Now he knows the truth. And Hermione says, Dumbledore says people find it far easier to forgive others for being wrong than for being right. Hmm. And that's so true. You know, and that's clearly, that's actually where Percy is. And also then he gets stuck and he has to extract himself from the ministry later on because he does change his mind, but then he's stuck, you know? So that's one of mine. One of mine is I am with you, which is what he says at the end of the cave. I am not worried, Harry, I am with you. Yes. Yep, because just, it's, it is, see, look, he didn't even plan like, it this I, way. <laughs> I typed it out and I was like, literally It's tears. such a very tender moment. Right when we need it, I think. It's right when we need it and it's encapsulating what Harry is, not just to Dumbledore, but to so many people. Yeah. And what we see him do in the next book, which is, you know, give everyone his life. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. And then my other is Dumbledore will only leave from Hogwarts when there are none loyal to him, which is really nice. It has something to do with someone's memory and loyalty, of course, and all of that. And it's a nice clap back to the second book. Yeah, exactly. Like, what book is it? The second one, which we're always talking about how it parallels. Yes, there's book. a lot. That could have very well been another, like, theme is the like the um the symmetry but maybe we'll get into that in the future because we're I'm not sure. done with the series so what about what is your favorite part of the movie okay so my favorite part of the movie i think is pretty clear it's jim broadbent anytime he is on stage on stage in the fucking <laughs> screen and of course i like that edition of francis the fifth i said it earlier there's something about his portrayal of slughorn that feels 100% correct to the book, but also it's just nailed in a perfect way in the movie. I don't think they're the same character, but they feel correct. Yeah. Both ways. Mine is very similar, too. And it's really that scene going and getting the memory. Mm-hmm. I've said it when we were going through the chapters. That always feels like the pinnacle of the book to me, even though obviously it's not. Right. I love it. It's very similar to why I also like After the Burial, because it's a very positive moment for mm-hmm. him. But I do have an honorable mention for this one, too, and that is the Weasley's house getting exploded. Yes, yes. I love that part. It's so heartwarming. <laughs> That's something you wish that was in the book. Was in the book. Hell yeah. Our next and um, final favorites question is what was not in the movie that you wish was included? Okay, well, I'm going to keep this to the one big, 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 big one because there's so much. Why are not all the fucking memories in the book? That's exactly mine too, but as what well. Is it? Like, honestly, <laughs> what the yeah. fuck? It's only so much you can put in a movie. I get it, I get it, I get it. But this is important but like, fucking shit. There's so much left out in all the previous movies. And here's the thing is that a lot of times the movies fall victim to the movie before them and the movie before that that left something out. So like the fact that Dobby just appears again in the fucking last movie is like, wait, what the fuck? But they didn't before, they didn't before, they didn't before. And so it's an ongoing thing. It's like fucking telephone, you know? It's going to keep getting fucked up each time. And also the fucking movie came out after the seventh book. You had the opportunity to put all those in. It's not like it was at the detriment of movie or movie four you literally can be like okay here's all this information okay we know what happens in the seventh book here is all the information we can put it in the movie what the fuck i completely agree and in some of these i think it is more fresh information too honestly out of all of our wrap-ups i think we were most in sync for this book we had a lot of the same yeah i think so now we're going to play a game. Okay. All right. This game is the same game that you did in our book five wrap up, except I'm doing it. It's Mad Libs. <laughs> 
And this is basically a description of the next book that we'll be doing, which is Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Okay. Are you ready? Probably not, but let's do it anyway. All right. Give me a place. Uh, The Bermuda Triangle. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Don't forget, and I'm not saying that you need to use it right now because it is a plural noun, but we have to have chicken nuggets in every single Mad Libs. Oh, it's don't the worry. Plural noun. <laughs> what are we doing? Chicken nuggets already? It's up to you. Oh, wait. Okay. Cheese cubes. Cheese cubes. A boy's name. Dilbert. And a girl's name. Susan. <laughs> okay. Plural noun. Chicken nuggets. There we go. Finally. All right. This is going to be up to your interpretation, but old person name. Is it male or female? Uh, I don't remember. Doesn't matter. I like it. I like it. We don't. We don't have to gender things. Gertrude. Uh huh. Yeah. Remember full circle when I was like Gertrude is an old person name earlier this season with Brian. Okay. Another plural noun. Ferraris. Okay. <laughs> no idea. Adjective. Grody. Another adjective. Slimy. An emotion. Furious. And another emotion. Despondent. Okay, and then a feeling or a sensation. Horny. <laughs> okay. A weird name. Again, up to your interpretation. Adelbert. Okay. An adjective. Stupid. <laughs> a number. 71. A plural noun. Okay, love it. A past tense verb. Forgot. Oh my god, this is great. I can already tell. Okay, hold on here. Adjective. Ugly. <laughs> okay. An adjective ending in E-S-T. Minus? A verb and then an adverb to describe that verb. Okay. Let's do that. Um, so like poop quickly, which that's a talent, I guess. Poop, pooping quickly. Fuck silently. Okay, so was that. Fuck silently. <laughs> that sounds like a really difficult thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you're Sarah Price. An adjective describing Harry, specifically. Specifically Harry? I know which one I would choose. Oh my god, I'm sending you the signals so bad right now. Come on, please choose this <laughs> I'm not going to choose whatever word you're thinking of. So just put it in there. Okay, It'll traumatized. Be me. <laughs> oh, oh damn it, not a prize anymore. No, it's fine. A verb. Swim. Okay. A historical event. Revolution. <laughs> okay. And then finally a noun. Pickle. Okay. So here it is, the description of the next book. Harry has left the Bermuda Triangle to dedicate himself to the quest for the final cheese cubes, together with his best friends, Dilbert and Susan. Harry is also searching for the chicken nuggets. He feels Gertrude has left unanswered, and his Ferraris for his grody, slimy headmaster veer from furious to despondent to horny loss. (laughs) Horny loss. Think about that one. Adelbert continues his rise, and no one seems to be stupid anymore. With 71 boobies forgot by Gertrude to our ugly trio, they set off on their finest task yet, and you know this could be the end of everything. They fuck silently, even themselves. (laughs) With Adelbert ever closer, our traumatized hero must not swim. The final French Revolution is coming, and no one knows what the pickle will be. It doesn't matter what we do. This is always fun. <laughs> okay. I just love with 71 boobies forgot by Gertrude, our ugly trio. <laughs> That's a good sentence. Also, fuck silently, including themselves. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. 100%. Uh, what a win. 
All right, guys. It's time. Yeah. Points time. Let's do it. Okay. So here's the rank. And then I have some questions for Tara. Oh, okay. In first place, we have Harry with 245 points. Oh, wow. We have Ginny in second place with 125 points. Hagrid in third with 115 Dumble in fourth with 70. At five, we have a tie between Slughorn and Ron with 55. At six, we have a tie between Hermione and Luna with 50. At seven, we have Lupin with 45. And right behind him is Tonks at eight with 40 points. At nine, we have a three-way tie. Katie, Neville, and Molly with 25 points. At 10, we have a six-way tie. Mrs. Cole, Dobby, Fox, Pomfrey, and the Twins with 20 points. At 11, we have a four-way tie. Madam Malkin, Flitwick, Buckbeak slash Witherwings, and McGuh with 15 points. I think that might be the lowest McGuh has ever been. At 12, we have a 14-way tie. Blazabini, Bob Ogden, Eldred Warple, Hokey, Jimmy Peaks, Leanne slash Sarah Price, Marcus Belvey, Marope Gaunt, Richie Coote, the Muggle Prime Minister, Lavender Brown, Kingsley Shacklebolt, Pomona Sprout, and Arthur Reesley with 10 points. At 13, we have a 21-way tie. Filch, Cecilia, Demelza Robbins, Florian Fortescue, Dawlish, Scrimger, a.k.a. Bill Nye the Science Guy, Sanguini, Madame Rose Murda, Stan Shunpike, Brian O'Jackson for doing math. It's very important that you know that he got those points for doing math specifically. Emmeline Vance, Ollivander, Amelia Bones, Augusta Longbottom, Susan Bones, The Fat Lady, Grubbly Plank, Ernie McMillan, Ferenz, Moaning Myrtle, and Trelawney. And all of those people have five points. Next, we have our only one this book that is a wash. They got points, and they got them taken away, so they have zero. And that is Narcissa Malfoy. Fifteen, Wilkie Twycross, the awful apparitions professor at negative five. Number sixteen, two awful Gryffindors, Peter Pettigrew and Percy with negative ten. At seventeen, we have a six-way tie in three duos. And those duos are Umbridge the Human and Fudge, the Caros, and then Marvalo Gaunt and Morphin Gaunt. So we got lovers, we got brother-sister, and we got father and son. 18, a three-way tie between Bellatrix, Creature, and Mundungus with negative 20 points. At 19, we have the blonde bitch himself, Thorfinn Rall, with negative 30 points. At 20, we have with negative 35 points. At 21, we have Voldemort with negative 45 points. So once again, Voldemort is not the lowest in a book. At 22, we have Romilda Vane and negative 55. At 23, we have Snape with negative 85. At 24, we have Draco with negative 110. And in last place, we have Cormac McLaggen with negative 155 points. This is such a strange book that no one is like a bajillion in the hole because... Well, technically that makes the last book an outlier, but... So Gryffindor loses this book from my points, FYI. Well, because Cormac McLaggen. <laughs> yes. I just like how Romilda and Cormac are both below Lord Voldemort. Voldy doesn't even make a real appearance in this book, so... Yep, seriously. All right, house ranks in this book. We have... None of this is a surprise. This is probably exactly the same as the last few books. In first place is Gryffindor with 640 points, but this is their second worst book. So not a great book for Gryffindor. Well, again. Uh, Cormac, Cormac, Romilda. Yeah. Percy, Skinny Percy. Dick. Also, like, everyone has some bad moments. Yeah, exactly. Second place is Hufflepuff once again with 100, and this is their second best book. In third place is Ravenclaw with 95. This is also their second best book. In fourth place is Uncategorized Magical Human with 60 points. 
In fifth place, we have Muggle slash Squib with 40 points. In sixth place, we have Magical Creatures with 35 points. And Slytherin, of course, is seventh place. Yet again, the only people who have negative points in this book, and that is a negative 330. So despite this being an awful book for Gryffindor, of course, because we have Snape here, we have Draco here, etc., Slytherins have the worst. Fun facts about this book. We have two previous characters who have received their first points in this book. So they've been mentioned in previous books, but this is the first time they have points. Uh And both of them are Diagon Alley characters, Madame Malkin and Florian Fortescue. Nice. This is a lot of characters' worst book, and that includes some major, major people. Harry? Not Harry. This is not Harry's worst book. Oh. Dumble, McGuh, Hermione, Molly. Molly has the same points that she had in book two. So... Both of these are her worst. And then Lupin. So big characters where this was their worst book. However, this is Ginny's best book. And this is Hagrid's second best book. Uh, book three was his best by five more points. So it was very close. Um, there's only one character who has gotten points in all other books, but has not had points taken away or given in this book. Can you guess who that is? So they've gotten points in every book except this Gotten one. or removed. So they have a point value. Oh, okay. And they were in this book, but they did not get anything in this They're book. sort of in this book, yes. They're by no means like at the forefront, which is probably why they didn't get points taken away or given. Arthur Weasley. No, I think our, maybe Arthur did get points. But that's a good guess because it is a father. It's Lucy. Oh, you know, I was like thinking of Lucy. Yeah. And I was like... But he wasn't in the first one. He wasn't in the first one, but I still took points away from him. Oh. Because he raised Draco, and Draco was a piece of shit. <laughs> probably. So, yeah. Lucius Malfoy did not have any point values this book, but he did all the other books. Um, and Oh, he's going to be getting or taking points Oh, next book. 100. And there were no magical objects awarded or deducted points from this book. Finally... Book totals. Right now, I'm going to give you some stats, and then I want you to guess. So, right now, as we go into book seven, so this is the final kind of level set before we see who is actually going to have the most points and the least points in the series. And that is, top five point averages are Harry, Dumbledore, Hermione, Hagrid, and McGuff. So, they are going into seventh book primed to win, which, that's not a shock, I don't think. Right. The worst... Five point averages are Pettigrew, Voldemort, Fudge, Draco, and Umbridge. So they're obviously poised in the worst way. And there are three characters who have received zero points because they had been given or deducted points and then had them taken away or given. So they're, they're had at a zero average. Who are those three? Can Is that over the whole books? The, yeah, we're talking about the entire series up okay. to this point. So one of them is Narcissa Malfoy. One of them is Narcissa Malfoy. Moaning Myrtle. No. Okay. I'll give you a hint. All three of these are similar in a specific way. Are they all female? No. Okay. I'll give you another hint. They're all parents. Amos Diggory. Yes. Cool, yeah. And one of them is one of Harry's parents. James. Yes. Can't be be Lily. She would only ever get five points. Lily has points, yes. Yeah, those are the only three that have a zero. Isn't that weird? All three parents. All parents. Okay. All very interesting parents. Yes. And our guests for our next episode are arriving in 10 minutes. So I'm actually not going to have you guess these. I'm just going to go through them. That's fine. But the best Gryffindor, how about this? Give me like just like an immediate thought of who it is. Okay. Okay. Best Gryffindor is. Harry. With 1,455 points. The worst Gryffindor is... Cormac McLaggen. No. 
Oh, a uh, Peter Pettigrew. Yes, oh, okay. skinny dick. Sorry, I, I, no. I, I don't like acknowledging nope. he's in my house. You no, know, good job. You're doing great. This is better <laughs> than you've done in the past. So negative 410, but Percy and Cormac are very close behind him. Oh, Percy. Best... I believe in Percy Weasley. <laughs> Best Pufflepuff is? Oh, um, uh, Cedric Diggory. Yes, with 165. Um, Poppy, Pomfrey, and Tonks are very close. Now, keep in mind, no points have still been deducted from Hufflepuff at all. So who's the worst Hufflepuff? Zach Smith. No, you just mentioned him because he has zero points. Oh, uh, no, Amos Diggory. Yes. <laughs> so he's still the worst. But not a single point has been deducted from Hufflepuff to this point. Best Ravenclaw is? Luna. Yes, with 195. Worst Ravenclaw? I'm just going to tell you because I don't think you would think of him first. Barty Craft Sr., Neg- oh, yeah. Negative 280. Makes sense. Yeah. But Lockchart is very close behind him. Uh, that was going to be my guess. <laughs> yeah. Best Slytherin is? Snake. No. It's me. Oh, duh. It's still me. <laughs> I, I didn't, haven't given myself points since the first book, and it's still me. It's not even, it's not even Slughorn. <laughs> Slughorn is very close. <laughs> I am willing to bet Slughorn is going to be the next Slytherin. That is a bet that I'm going to make, unless I award myself a ton of points. So who knows? We I might all know do who that. the worst is. Pink bitch. Yes, negative 1,681. She has more negative points than Harry has positive points. <laughs> Best uncategorized magical human. I'm just going to go through these because yeah. yeah, yeah. Kingsley, 70. Woo! But Maxime and Crum are both very close. Yes, love them both. Worst one is Jugson. Some Death Eater that I took oh, points yeah, with. But I couldn't find his house. Best magical creature is, any guess? Uh, Hedwig. No, but it, no, but a flying creature is correct. Oh, fox. Fox. Okay, I was like, that's bad. yeah. <laughs> fox with one eighty. The worst is the basilisk with negative one hundred. Yeah. Still at the bottom, but creature, creature oh, might creature. take it. Well, creature's gonna get points next. Book. M- maybe, maybe we'll see. I sure fucking Who hope not? so. Best Muggle Squib is Mrs. Fig. Yes, with uh, fifty five. And the worst muggle squib is... Vernon Dursley. Yes, with negative 230. You are smashing it, man. <laughs> and then no change because there were no magical objects in this book. But just as a reminder, the best magical object remains Christmas. And the worst magical object is also remains Quirrell's turban. <laughs> and that, those are my points. Yes! Love it, love it, love it. Finally, to wrap up this episode. What are we looking forward to? Yes. And I mean, let's be honest. For me, it's everything. Because, like, this is the last book. Yeah. But, like, what? Conclusions. Yes. Yeah, wrapping so things, things up, etc. Specifically, the chapter by chapter approach in that book, I think, is going to be a really interesting approach. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we often look at this book like, oh, camping for a while. You know? But, like... The chapter-by-chapter approach, I really think, will highlight a lot of how these characters work. Yep. I am sad to know that we are going to experience a lot of loss. Yes, absolutely. That's one of those things that I know is going to happen, but I'm like, let's just take it step-by-step once we get there. Because it's going to be, I think, pretty significant, you know? I am. This is, I know, shocking to people. I am very interested to have the chapter discussion on... The Prince's Tale on yes. Snape's backstory. I think that's going to be um, awesome. That and also kind of alongside that, Petunia's backstory and what her history mm-hmm. with the Wizarding World is. Mm-hmm. In contrast to that, Dudley's little thanking of Harry, yeah. you know, where Dudley goes. And this is one that you're going to be like, oh my fucking God, drop it. 
Percy Weasley's redemption arc. Hey, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. I, in fact, yeah. I think it'll be kind of nice to see that. It's really important to see a character be, to see someone, anyone, character, real life especially, to be great. Uh-huh. People acknowledging that they were wrong. Yeah. And being willing to put themselves in the space to be judged and, you know, treated specifically according to that. Mm-hmm. You know, Percy, I think, seems like he's very much willing to step in and say, I'm sorry, and if his family had not loved him and taken him back the way that they do in the book, mm-hmm. I think he was ready to accept that. I mean, he is actually still a Gryffindor. Yeah. So I'm really intrigued by that. I know it's a very minor thing, but it's so important. To your point, like, about Creature, when we're talking about points, he may be someone who kind of gets arc. a little bit of a redemption. The only other thing, because you touched on so many, like, big things, and it's a, such a huge book that, of course... Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I guess a couple things. Any callbacks that we might see? I'm kind of more open to that. I don't know if I have any expectations. But then the other thing is learning about the Deathly Hollows, Because that yeah. is the one big thing in the series that we really have not had any allusion to yet. No. Other than, like, obviously the use of the invisibility cloak. We have seen them all. Yeah, I guess Which that's true. Which is really fun. So we'll be that's talking true, true. about that in the next book. Yes. And then also just really excited to, in some ways, we're going to be going back to basics of how we used to do things. But in some ways, we're going to be doing things a little bit more exciting and different. We're going to have lots of your favorite guests. So it's going to be a fun season. We have our 200th episode, which, of course, as I mentioned previously. Insane. Yeah. So very exciting. I can't believe we're here. This was, we started this four and a half years ago. Yeah. This podcast has already, like, graduated high school or college. Let's say it's in its college years now. Right. Because, I mean, you could go to college forever if you wanted to, so. I mean, I haven't finished, so yeah. I could. That's true. Who knows? At some point, this podcast might drop out like its mother. No promises. <laughs> Dara is like, whoa, I have been read. <laughs> you know I mean that with fun, right? I know. I'm so... <laughs> I made mean it in all fun. I mean, it's... Definitely not wrong. Yeah, did you guys know that we had sex and created this podcast? Anyways, this may be our wrap-up of book six, but we still have two more episodes until our break. So next time, we're actually going to be taking a little bit of a step back and talking about movie three Three and and four. four. And we're going to have... Jean and Delia Brennan with us. I can't wait. It's going to be so fun. Yes. We love them. These have been like, high, for me at least, and I'm sure for Tara too, highly anticipated guests. I love these two people so much. So yes. I look forward to them next time. Yeah. We did it. We did it. You're so fucking awesome. Goodbye, I guess. <laughs> Basic Snitches is recorded and produced by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice and share us with all your other friends who love Harry Potter and getting drunk. Yes. Join our social media pages. Facebook, Instagram. I never update Twitter, but we have that. We do. Also email basicsnitches at gmail.com. We also now have a website, basicsnitches.com. And a Patreon, patreon.com slash basicsnitches. Join today and get exclusive content every week and be acknowledged in every single one of our episodes. Taryn Telegra, dance bitch. I see you new friends who don't make me dance for nothing. Yeah, they ain't gonna come, honey. We out!